We are going to be talking today about gambling, a biblical perspective on gambling. We started it last week, and it has to do with the current events. We want to try as much as possible to make you aware and acquainted with what's going on so that the Christian influence can be, can be felt, impacted on a day-by-day basis, not just from the pulpit, but from you as an individual taking positions based on the Word of God. See, that's what it is to be the salt of the earth. You have to rub, rub the salt in. And that's right, if it's going to have any effect. As long as it's in the salt shaker, the box, it's no good. It's got to get out and spread. And see, that's what happened. Unfortunately, many of us Christians, the only time we let, we rub the salt in is when we come to a meeting like this. We go in the world and we close back up in the box. We don't live our convictions. We don't stand up for Christ. We don't share the faith whatsoever. The only time we shine our lights is when we can shine it at one another. You go out into the dark world with all the cursing and the swearing and the stealing and all of that stuff, and we retreat. You can't make an impact like that. And I'm going to tell you now, the days that we face, the days that are coming, if you don't stand for the truth, if you're not able to stand for the truth, you're going to get rolled over by all of the kinds of teachings and, and, and philosophies that we have today. This is a wicked world we live in. And you have to be... You have to be equipped with the whole armor of God, beginning with the belt of truth, the whole counsel of God. Another subtopic then here is why Christians should not support a government-sponsored natural, uh, national law, uh, lottery, because that's the big issue that's coming up more and more, and no doubt it will be on the agenda in the next election, or if not before. We have to know how to respond to these things in the biblical fashion. Now, we started last week. So this is a sort of review as well. We should look, first of all, the fact that as far as Jesus' attitude towards money and Christians having money, God wants us to have money. He wants us to have wealth, but he wants us to get it in the proper way. He wants us to use it properly. All right? There's no such thing as the Bible does not teach that... Um, um, the Bible does not say that uh, money is the root of all evil. The Bible says what? The love of money is the root of all evil. So Jesus wants us to be prosperous, but in keeping with his will for us and in the way he himself provides, and always based on faith, and always willing to share what we have for others. We ask two questions primarily in this message, or these messages. First, is gambling a moral issue? Some people say it's, it's amoral, that is, it has, it's neutral. Can it properly be described as right or wrong? Some people say you cannot say that gambling is right or wrong. It's how you use it. We're going to show that that's not so. Secondly, the question is, in a country which has purposely rooted the principles of biblical Christianity within its very constitution, at least, at least the preamble, is it morally right for those who govern such a country to legalize a once outlawed activity, as was sodomy? Do you realize that? Sodomy was out, outlawed. It's not anymore in certain situations. That was sneaked in when the Christians' eyes were shut. Didn't know what was happening, but it was sneaked in. Gambling, and uh, is it morally right for those who govern such a country to legalize the once outlawed activity and encourage its citizens, notice the word, encourage its citizens to participate in it? To me, that is the degrading thing that's happening. And we're going to show why this is so biblically. What is gambling? 
We share this definition. Gambling is the staking or betting something of value with the express intention of running a risk in hope of gaining something of more value as a result. That's the basic core value. And I believe something is missing out of that, which I will include in a moment. But this is a traditional run-of-the-mill type of an idea you get or definition for gambling. It has to do uh, with two things, actually. Two major elements in the definition. One, there is a risk being taken. You cannot gamble if there's no risk, right? But that doesn't mean that all risk is gambling. But you cannot gamble without risking. Secondly, the desire to win. In other words, you want to beat the risk or overcome the odds. If that wasn't so, you wouldn't gamble. You don't gamble to lose, right? You gamble to win. The results are governed by the ratio of chance or odds, 5 to 1, 6 to 1, whatever it is, like the horse the other day, I think it's worth 50 to 1 or whatever, all right? There can be no gambling without these elements, risk-taking and a desire to win, according to the standard definition. The nature of both determines the degree of intensity the gamblers put into his or active gambling. But there's a third element that must also be included. And that is, in gambling, there always must be a loser. You cannot, have gamble, without, you cannot gamble without someone losing. Because if you don't have losers, you don't have winners. Isn't that right? So you must have losers. And to me, this is an element that we must always be aware of. Now, why do people gamble? The answer is very simple. They want to win. Even though it's more likely that they would be eaten by a shark than to win a lottery, or even to contract AIDS through contaminated blood. By the way, that's an established fact. They've done that through scientific testing. Yet, they do it. Gamblers gamble nonetheless. Their desire to win is greater than their intellectual persuasion. We're going to show in a moment, as we did last week, that gambling is the most illogical activity anybody could do. The thing with gambling, however, is that the odds are always against the majority of gamblers winning. You know, as they say, the deck is stacked against them. The house always wins. This is one of the things that amazes me about gambling and gamblers. They know that the odds are against them. They know that to choose to gamble is to go against all logic and rational thinking. But gamblers gamble anyway. Why? They want to win. They want to get money quick. Most gamblers do not gamble because it is logical or wise, but rather because they want to win, regardless of the odds stacked against them. See, this is where the nature of gambling comes in, the loss. You see, that's where it comes in. You've got to see this. This is very important. They want to win regardless of the odds against them. What is driving them to do that? There's a loss. There's a desire to have something. Now, something else we need to remember is, that there, is this. Those who gamble are gamblers. They're not merely called gamblers. They are gamblers. If you only gamble once a week, or once a month, or once a year, you are a gambler. The only difference between gamblers is the 
intensity of activity. I mentioned this last week. It's the same thing with Christians. We have deeply committed Christians, right? They want to be Christians all the time. Then you have moderately committed Christians. You know, only at times when it's convenient or when it benefits them or whatever it is. No, don't go out of the way or anything else. They have Christians like that. Then you just have Christians who profess to be Christians. There's no real commitment, no real involvement. You know, they might go to a church once in a while. They might say, I'm a Christian occasionally. That's what some gamblers are. They don't look out of the way, but if they walk through a casino, they'll stop. Or if somebody comes to sell them the number and they just had a dream last night, they'll buy it. You see? But then you have gamblers, that's that, the committed gamblers, that's what they call those who are addicted to gambling. And we'll see it on that one. The New Yorker magazine stated that the chances of winning the lottery in that state was 12 million to one. In Florida, where it is claimed that up to $50 million, that's a guess, payment dollars are wagered every week, the ratio there is 14 million to one. That's your chances of winning the lottery in Florida. Mm -hmm. You, that's what it is. 14 million to one, all right? That's why, from my point of view, one of the most forceful, practical, common sense reasons that can be given for a person not to gamble is that gambling is intellectually irrational. It's simply not a rational way to invest one's money. You see, it's simply illogical to do that. Now, let me run quickly to some of the reasons we gave last week, then we pick up the new ones this time, but I'm trying to do it for continuity. Here's some popular reasons given for legalized gambling. First, life is a gamble. You heard that one? Therefore, if life is a gamble, then hey, there's nothing wrong to gamble. Because that's life. But there's a false concept here. Life is not a gamble. Life is an investment. See, gambling has, uh, there's no necessary risks in gambling. In life, there are necessary risks. You see, not all risks are gambling, is a gamble. That's what I'm trying to say. But all gambling involves risk. But life is an investment. Secondly, it's only entertainment. It's only fun. It's a fun thing to do. Well, there's another logical thing here as well. There's a basic fallacy. What it is saying here is whatever is fun or entertaining is right. Now, if you carry that through, we're in a lot of trouble. Isn't that right? You see, we talked about it last week, so I wouldn't spend any more time. Now, here's a big one. This comes up all the time in arguments, when, especially with pastors who are against gambling. The church does it. Now, again, what is the fallacy here? It's this. Everything every church does is automatically right. In other words, if the church does it, then it's okay. But that's false. A lot of churches do a lot of things that are not right. Just because the church does it does not make it right. Isn't that right? Right. Not every church organization does the right or moral thing. You remember Jim Jones? He sanctioned murder and suicide for his parishioners. Was he right? No. Should the government follow suit to do something the church is doing even though it's wrong? Of course not. Dr. Norman Geisler, one of my instructors many years ago, he wrote a book called Gambling, A Bad Bet. This is what he says. Those who trust God don't gamble. And those who gamble do not trust God to provide for them. So as stark as it may seem, we must choose between God and gambling. 
That's a powerful statement, but I agree with that. If you think about it, if you really think carefully about it, for those of you who do gamble, that's what it is. You don't trust God, you see, to provide. And we see this from a biblical point. The fact of the matter is, neither the government or the church should be involved in gambling. What we should be doing is to stop gambling in the churches as well as outside the church. Not to use it as an excuse to do it, you see. Here's another one. People are going to do it anyway. So since people are going to gamble, it's okay. That's the idea. The fallacy here, though, is this. If people are going to do it anyway, then let's legalize it. As though legalizing something makes it morally right. Now, that was true then. We should legalize numbers. We should legalize all kinds of gambling that goes on. And not only gambling, we could talk about all... Why not legalize pot? Why not uh, Coke and all of that kind of... Not Coca-Cola now. You know what I'm talking about, right? Why not, if this is right? You see, why not legalize marijuana or Coke so we could help the poor, so we could help sports, so we could help education? See, that's the same argument here that we must see, you see. The idea that, you know, if you legalize something or just because everybody does it, then it's something that we should do. Uh, uh, think about that very carefully. I'm just showing you, if you think these uh, ideas too carefully, it's so illogical. They say that it's something that everybody does. It's just a fun thing to do. But do you know in the United States that one of the major expenses for the lottery and what they have going on over there is PR? Do you know how much money is spent on advertising, trying to lure people into gambling? Now, if gambling was something we did naturally and everything was okay, why would we have to spend so much money on advertising? The very fact that so much money is spent on advertising shows that it's not just a natural, normal thing to do. You have to be enticed to do it. You see, it's not true that people will gamble naturally or normally. It has been demonstrated that most people normally would not gamble. They only do so if it is convenient, legal, and vigorously promoted. And that's what we have with the lottery in the United States. Dr. Geisler made another comment. He says, a time bomb of young gamblers is now ready to explode in America. 90% of problem gamblers are now young people. That's an amazing statement. The same study showed that alarming increase in women gamblers. 20 years ago, there were virtually no teenagers in in Gamblers Anonymous. Today, they comprise 20% of those being treated. Now look about women. The same trend is seen with regard to women gamblers. Women gamblers now make up one out of every four persons being treated by Gamblers Anonymous. I believe we can state without any fear of contradiction of being proven wrong. If gambling is legalized in the Bahamas through a lottery, the Bahamas will rapidly increase in the number of Bahamian gamblers. No doubt about that. It will entice young people and women and everyone else. And what is now happening in the USA since gambling has been legalized in most states now has come back, some 10% of those who gamble regularly become problem gamblers, addicted to gamblers, gambling. We think liquor is a problem now. We think alcohol is a problem. By the way, it is. In the Bahamas, liquor, rum, is one of our major problems, even bigger than drugs. 
You see, it ruins homes and marriages and children and wives and husbands and jobs, all down the line. Most of the problems caused through accidents because of drunken drivers, you see. And gambling is made, I believe that if it's legalized here, it will come, become a second major cause of all of these types of social problems. But then there's another one. They say that gambling is a voluntary activity. No one is forced to gamble against their will. That makes it okay is the idea. Here's a faulty basic assumption. All that is voluntary or done without coercion is all right. In other words, hey, if nobody forces you to do it, then do it, it's okay. That's not true. You know that isn't true. But that's one of the arguments they're giving. You see, if you don't force you, then, in other words, the choice. And it is. There's no doubt about it. That doesn't make it right. However, there is one choice, one voluntary choice, which is unquestionably good, which is moral, it is right, and inspected of the Christian by God. And that choice is to choose to do his will. Listen to how John puts it in 1 John. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lusts of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and, do, what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And notice this. The world and his desires pass away. And gambling falls into that. But the man who does, the man or woman who does the will of God, lives forever. Here's a choice you can make that causes you to experience what it really means to have eternal life and to have it more abundantly. It is without question that from a biblical perspective, gambling is of the world, meaning that it is contrary to the will of God for the Christian. No Bible-obeying Christian should vo voluntarily choose to gamble. When you choose to do that, you're putting God and his word apart outside of your life. You're saying, I don't care what God says, I'm going to do it anyway. That's what it is. That's a choice you make. What is the cause of it? Well, why do we have this desire? Here's how James put it. When tempted, as with government-sponsored lottery, because you're going to see all kinds of ads, get rich quick and do all this, help the poor, help the sick, help these, help that, all of those things you're going to be to be lured in. No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted then by his own evil desire. You see, it, it begins here. Then there's something outside that connects. That's the temptation. When each one is tempted, when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away unenticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That is the beginning, the process, and the ending of following our desires, going contrary to the will and word of God. This is what happens when we choose to go our way and not the way of God. But then there's another one that says it's for a good cause. That's the big one that's being promoted today when it comes to national law. It's a good cause. What is the good cause? Sports, education. All these kinds of things. That's the good cause, you see. Here's a fa this is a false concept also. This is saying that the ends justify the means. That's what we're saying. Now, of course, this is contrary not only to biblical teaching, but also to intellectual honesty and common moral standards. If this is true, as I said before, why not legalize the sale of drugs to support education, health, or sports? If it was true that the ends justify the means. In fact, why not legalize 
the apparently well-known numbers racket in the Bahamas and imposed upon the operators a license fee, as we have in the casinos, to fund sports or other such good causes. What's the difference from using a lottery, or for that matter, any other now illegal vice, specifically legalized by the government to do the job of helping sports and education? It's illogical to think that this is a good argument for it. You see, here is the principle. Using an immoral means to aid a moral cause is an immoral action. You got it? Using an immoral means to aid a moral cause is an immoral action. Listen to this. Peterson in his book, Why You Should Know About What You Should Know About Gambling, quotes the Los Angeles Times as stating that a government sponsored lottery for the cause of education is immoral. This is how he said, puts it. If state sponsored lottery is immoral, um, let me back up. It, that is, state-sponsored lottery, is immoral because it would make education and other pressing needs of the state dependent on the weakness rather than the strength of our people. Did you get that? The weakness, the lust, the desire, the greed, the selfishness. We'll be dependent upon those kinds of characteristics, attitudes, and virtues. Support that which is good on the part of our citizens. This just doesn't make sense. I believe that our political leaders need to heed the words of Solomon. This is what he said in Proverbs 16:12. Kings, meaning righteous kings or prime ministers, detest wrongdoing. For a throne or a government is established through righteousness. That's God's intention, righteousness. Gambling is not a righteous activity. Secondly, Proverbs 14.31, he who oppresses the poor, and legalized gambling does that, shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. How? By not oppressing the poor. Now, one of the responses by those who favor a legalized lottery to those like myself who oppose it insists that if we oppose it, we should have an answer. In other words, if you oppose it and sports need money, then provide a solution. That's a red herring. Why should I have to provide something for something that cannot provide for themselves simply because I oppose something? It doesn't make sense. But they try to put the guilt trip on you. And it's amazing how many pastors have already fallen for it. They started and went back home to their churches, and now they're asking their churches to support sports. Why? Because they feel guilty. Because they are opposing it. And therefore, they've got to have a solution. That's nonsense. You see, it's amazing how these kinds of mental games are played by people and people who do not think about it. So quickly now, let me give you some reasons for not legalizing gambling. Those are reasons for legalizing it. Number one, gambling is morally sinful. It violates clear biblical directives and standards. One, gambling is both an evidence and sustainer of greed, lust, and covetousness, all of which are condemned and prohibited in Scripture. The last of the commandment is clear and specific, thou shalt not covet. And that's what gambling is. Coveting that doesn't belong to you. Doesn't belong to us by right. But secondly, gambling is also a form of stealing. And so it's a violation of the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. Here's why. For a gambler to win his or her jackpot 
hundreds and even thousands of others have to lose. And the majority of those who lose can least afford to gamble in the first place. This is what has been demonstrated again and again in all of the tests taken in the United States and elsewhere. Studies in the U.S. have conclusively shown that state lotteries take a disproportionately high amount of the revenue from the poor and minority communities. This is so much so that in studies they've found that people who go for their pensions and their page and all these uh, welfare checks right next to them, they always have boots to sell lottery. You see, proven that again and again. This has caused one author to say this. This is, this is state-sponsored stealing from the poor. And notice this. And is a form of economic immorality. A state-sponsored lottery is a state-sponsored economic immoral act. And this is what the government will be asking us to do when they try to present this. The government cannot justify this kind of economic immorality with the excuse that the poor choose to gamble of their own free will. This does not justify their being taken advantage of by a government which is supposed to care for the poor rather than to oppress them by exploiting their weaknesses. That's the argument. Let me go back for a moment here. commenting on the way the jackpot is paid over a long period of time, not at once. Remember, you know, in the States, you don't have to get all your money one time. You can get it over several years. You know that, right? You, what? No, I was going to ask anybody. Oh. This is what he says about this kind of a thing, this kind of arrangement. There is much to be said for the idea that if a Wall Street promoter represented a stock deal the way the state do their lotteries, he would most likely be put behind bars. Amazing. If legalized, I believe that our government would pay off the major winners in the same fashion. That's economic immorality. Now, the histories of countries wherever gambling has been legalized is a record of accompanying crime, corruption, poverty, and social degeneration. You've said this again, and you've heard this again and again. It encourages laziness, slothfulness, and irresponsibility. It also encourages an inordinate and sinful attitude towards money. The scriptures clearly state that the love of money is the root of all evil, and that's what lottery encourages, the love of money. But secondly, gambling is socially degenerating. It thrives on the basic instincts of citizens, encourages other vices, and discourages the worth ethic. When I moved over into the apartment where I am now, on Paradise Island, that is before all of this stuff happened in the 80s. They only had little small things going on. But that place was a den of prostitutes and druggies. And where were they supplying and who were they supplying? The people in the casino. Now, fortunately, we got on the board right away and a lot of that stuff was already being moved out of there. But you'd be amazed to know the kind of immorality that is encouraged and promoted by those types of situations. We don't see all of it, you see. Ask Christian counselors, not only Christian counselors, how many people they have the counselors involved in the casinos because of families that have been ruined, you see. That's some of the effects we don't even see and know about. 
The active promotion and encouragement of government in giving in citizens the hope that they could win millions of dollars and become a millionaire overnight cultivate and nourish a selfish, greedy love for money. It nullifies and casts aspersions upon the word of God which says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Government-backed and promoted gambling also depreciates and discourages a healthy attitude toward the work ethic because gambling most definitely promises the kind of attitude, mentality, and way of life which are exactly opposite to the spiritual, moral, and biblical injunction to work to meet one's needs. Scriptures are very clear. In fact, it says very pointedly, if a man does not work, neither should he eat. By the way, some of you women should really take that to heart. It also says, Ephesians 4, let him that steals, steal no more. You won't put it in context, stop gambling. But rather let him get a job, working with his hands in things that are good, so that he may have to give the one who have a need. See, here is one of the, uh, one of the, uh, the, the reasons why God makes us, uh, or makes those whom he makes rich, rich, to be able to help others, not just to hoard. Notice what he says in Proverbs as a warning. The sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Listen to this. Proverbs 13. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. The living Bible puts it this way. Wealth from gambling quickly disappears, but wealth from hard work grows. Now this has been proven. They did a study recently on four or five people who won these hundred million dollar jackpots, you know, and most of them had lost the money already. One of them is actually in poverty and he owed money. You know, families who never knew you had started to find a way. Churches who believe in plant seed, seed planting and all of that come to you, seed, plant your seeds and all this kind of stuff. All kind of money given away, all kinds of luxuries and stuff like that. It's gone, you see, just as quickly as it came. If through legal gambling, citizens are allowed, this is a quote, or encouraged to make a profit or gain through chance rather than through work, the government may be undermining a basic social tenant of our culture, and that's the work ethic. You destroy it. You encourage laziness and slothfulness. Government-sponsored gambling tempts the poor, tempts the youth and the needy to squander their money, not to save it or invest it wisely. It teaches a wrong, non-productive way of life when it, should be, when it should be teaching a right and productive way of life. In our case, it could actually help to ruin the lives of the very little darlings that we're trying to help, you see. Thirdly, gambling is politically irresponsible. It promises a lifestyle that is contrary to, rather than being in conformity with, the kind of lifestyle that promotes national righteousness. And you remember the Bible says, sin is a reproach to a nation, but righteousness exalts any people. And a legalized lottery is not a righteous act. A government that backs and promotes legalized gambling teaches people to support good and worthy causes for the wrong reasons, not out of patriotic concern, citizen responsibility, pride and decency, but out of selfishness, greed, and personal gain, all of the basic things of life. Fourth, legalized gambling is economically unproductive. It returns never covers the actual overall negative impact it has upon the society. And every study shows this. 
when they take everything into consideration, especially the social and family aspects of it. The actual cost of society in terms of crime, addiction, immoralities is probably more than what the government takes in from its cut in gambling licenses. There is little return on the dollar for government licensed and supported gambling. This has been proven over and over and over again when the whole picture is taken into consideration. Legalized gambling encourages illegal gambling. And illegal gambling is always accompanied by a host of socially corrupting activities. Crime, stealing, immorality, drunkenness, drugs, and abandonment of family responsibilities. I can tell you that from personal experience. I think I shared this with you some time ago when I was an unregenerate person, quite young. We had a laundry on Bay Street. We closed that laundry down on Saturday night at 9 o'clock. Immediately, we had people lined up waiting to get in because me and my brother ran a gambling den. We had cards, we had dice, we had checkers, we had domino. We had every form of gaming you could have. Charged two shillings a head for people to come in. And we had a police. Police. Who received the money and keep the people out who didn't want to pay. And they had a bad policeman from breaking it up. That's true. This is true. And we would be there from 9 o'clock Saturday, sometimes going through until 4 o'clock Sunday, not a.m., p.m., gambling all the while. And I've, saw, I've seen men who worked in our laundry who would gamble the paycheck that we've just given them and then come to borrow money on the next paycheck and lose that. And then I would see their wives and children come during the week trying to find money for grocery and the fighting and the cursing that went on because he didn't have it. You see? So this is true. It ruins families. It ruins homes. There's no doubt about it. And I can tell you that. Some studies have concluded that the actual return on the dollar for such states as California and Florida is only two or three cents. And all the expenses of managing the operation negative fallout from gamblings are taken into consideration. So don't be fooled by, yes, we gave $1 million to education. But when you put it all together and you come right down to it, there's only three cents out of the dollar that goes towards it. You see. Historian John Edsel concludes his book on gambling in the United States uh, in the Fortune's Merry Wheel with these words. That's the name of the article or the book. If history teaches us anything, a study of over 1,300 legal lotteries held in the United States proved that they cost, they cost more than they brought in of their total impact on society when the total impact on society is reckoned. I can give you much, much proof on that one. It causes hardships, that is gambling. Gambling is domestically detrimental. It causes hardship, marital conflicts, and deprivation of basic family necessity. I've already spoken on that. Absentee spouses, financial disasters, spouse abuse, and divorce are only a few of the many tolls gambling makes on a marriage. Six, gambling is psychologically addictive. Many people become the victims of irrational, unconscious desires that chain them to a way of life that is no longer voluntary, but compulsive and even pathological. Listen to this. The American Psychiatric Association originally defined pathological gambling as a diag diagnosable mental disorder in 1980. This is how they described it. It is a, that gambling is a chronic and progressive failure to resist the impulse to gamble. Now, no one, of course, starts out to become addictive. Isn't that right? Smokers don't start out to become addictive. Drinkers don't. Druggers don't. They don't start out that way. 
It's fun. Anybody do it. Everybody's doing it. It's a natural thing to do. It always starts out with the well-intentioned person truly believing that he or she could control the urge or desire. But the convenience, especially the gamble and the lure of the big win, eventually tempts them to gamble more than they can afford. Then being convinced that they will eventually win, their turn will come. It has to come. They steal. They borrow. They do whatever they have to do just to play it one more time. I can give you experience of this. I used to gamble at Hobby Horse Hall. How many of you know what Hobby Horse Hall is? You know that? I used to ride my bicycle from Bay Street down to the gamble of the horse track. And I remember, boy, I just missed that by one race. I like to play the Cunella, you know, when you got had three winners and all that kind of stuff. Just miss it. All I need, I got to, next time, I sure I can win. But I have no money. I just shoot pool. To lose my money shooting pool. I say, next time I can get you. And I remember that I felt good. I says, I know I could beat this fellow with the, this game of pool this time. But I need two shillings. And I had no money. And so I was there watching the laundry. I look around, and I didn't see daddy nowhere. <laughs> so I opened the drawer. We had no cash registers in those days. I opened the drawer. And just as I put my hand on the two shilling, daddy walked in the door. And daddy looked at me. He didn't say a word. But I could see the disappointment in his eyes. And as he turned away, he just said, you're a bad boy. Almost in tears. I jumped out the window. I could see it right in my mind's eye right now. Although I've been born again, cleansed and everything, I still see that. I jumped out that window and I stooped down. I said, he caught me, he caught me, he caught me. I never had the opportunity to tell daddy I was sorry. Because the laundry blew up right after that and died. One of my biggest regrets in life is that I didn't have the opportunity for my daddy, who thought I was a bad boy because he caught me stealing the gamble, had come to Christ. It causes you to steal. It breaks relationships. That's what this addiction does to people. And the only way that I got out of all of that stuff was because of my faith in Christ. Gamblers Anonymous in the United States reports that there are some 8 million compulsive gamblers throughout America and that some 12,000 of them are seeking treatment in 700 chapters throughout the nation. It goes to this. Richard Richardson, head of Maryland Council of Compulsive Gamblers, states that the problem has reached epidemic proportions. An alarming trend is the growth in teenage gamblers. He states that the problem has reached epidemic. Notice what he says. Twenty years ago, there were virtually no teenagers in Gamblers Anonymous. Today, they comprise 20% of those being treated. This is young people. The same trend is seen with regard to women. Women gamblers now make up one out of every four persons being treated for addictive gambling. It's amazing. You say, can it happen here? Well, the rise in these numbers has been conclusively traced to the reintroduction of legalized gambling throughout the United States. It's sheer convenience and lure by aggressive advertising programs by the government, which gives both moral and legal sanction to gambling, are the major contributions to this phenomenon. This addiction to gambling. Can it happen here in the Bahamas? You answer that yourself. 
The word of God is sure in its prediction. Listen to three statements from the book of Proverbs. One, a faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. Two, a stingy man is eager to get rich and is unaware that poverty awaits him. Three, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. That's the word of God. Let's give some conclusions. From a biblical perspective, gambling is not an amoral activity, as some claim. But rather, it is an immoral, sinful activity that corrupts the individual, contaminates the society, and brings dishonor to a nation. For government of a professedly Christian nation to legalize, actively promote, and officially encourage its citizens to indulge in this form of debasing behavior would be one of the most serious acts of dereliction of its duty that it could ever commit. To answer our opening question then, should a Christian support the legalization of gambling and endorse a government-sponsored lottery? The answer from a biblical perspective is clear. Christians should say no to such a proposal. And of course, if you are a Christian and you do not gamble now, please, don't start. But if you are gambling, please, stop. Christians should say no to such a proposal. And of course, if you are a Christian, as I said, and you do not gamble now, don't begin. I know I'm repeating, but I'm doing it purposely. If you do gamble, stop. Read that carefully now. Question. Whose will will you follow when it comes to gambling? Legal or illegal? Your will, the government's will, the people's will, or God's will? Remember this. Remember it. This is the word of God. It is only he or she who does the will of God, who abides forever. Wealth from gambling quickly disappears, but wealth from hard work grows. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a disgrace to any people. Please stand as we close. Again, perhaps you need to make a commitment or a confession now to God, not to me or anyone else at this stage, but to God. I encourage you to do that right now. Whose will will you follow? Your own will, God's will, or the will of the government or the people? Or will you choose to do the will of God and to glorify Him by showing that you depend upon Him for your sustenance. Whatever commitment or confession you need to make, do that right now before I close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Our desire as your people is to honor you in all that we do and to choose your will over against our own will and even the will of the government or the people. Help us in this particular area then, our Father, to choose your will and to show that we have faith in you, that we trust you to supply our needs because we choose not to gamble and to show that we trust Lady Luck more than our Heavenly Father. Use your word, we pray, to enable us to glorify you in all that we do. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.